1: Right now on Fast, a massive move in yields, a 30-year dropping over 20 basis points just today, falling more than three-quarters of a percent since late October. Similar drops in the 10-year as well. What's all this mean for fixed income and the markets? Plus, Washington wades into the collapse of FTX. We'll take you inside the Senate hearing, where the head of the CFTC said, we need to act and act fast before another blowup happens. And later, a royal surge for Netflix the stock jumping nearly 4% as the streamer released a trailer for its upcoming series with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. One of our traders says this is one good-looking chart. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Full house tonight here on the desk. Tim Seymour, Karen Feynman, Courtney Garcia, and Bono and Eisen. We start off with the epic move in interest rates. Yields on 30-year treasuries dropping by more than 20 basis points today, hitting their lowest level in more than two months. Rates are down a whopping 80 bips from their highs of late October. The declines across the yield curve coming as the markets continue to digest Fed chair Jerome Powell's dovish comments from yesterday, but is the magnitude of this move justified? What is this really telling us, Tim?
2: It's telling us that the economy is is probably already pricing in a, a significant downshift and that at some point bond yields have to come lower and that it, looking at the Fed futures curve, which folks you can do at home, you can actually bring them up and you can see that the terminal rate for where people expected the Fed to max out was going to be out in July, uh, maybe early August, but around 505, just three or four days ago. That's come all the way into May. When you look at where the curve has gone, you can actually see that there's 40 basis points of Fed easing as you get from the middle part of May to the end of the year in December. So the, the market is, is, I think, imputing that the Fed is pushing too hard. Um, and right now, equities have this sweet spot of lower yields actually mean equities move higher. In fact, really, since the moment that the 10-year peaked, you have the semis outperforming the S&P by 14 percent. Even in the last few days, you can see where the mega cap tech trade has
3: picked up. So,
1: At what point do stocks have to start pricing in what the Treasury market is, seems to be pricing in? And that is another leg lower for the economy.
3: Yeah, I'm surprised that, that that's exactly, I mean, if if the bond market is telling you recession and lower mm-hmm. growth, how could that not translate into lower earnings? And even if we do see multiples come up a little bit. Because the bond because market's we, always
2: smarter. It's always two oh, yeah. steps ahead yeah. of the equity market, even though right. we talk about it on yes. the show. I
3: mean, but, but it's I earnings know. revisions. You haven't had them yet. And the, you, we know they're coming. Right. So. I see it as a big disconnect. I don't understand uh-huh. it, really, to be honest. So, I, I and, and, you know, what's happening in the front of the curve um, it's a sort of crazy shape. I don't even know what to call it. Uh, it, it. To me, it's a big disconnect. I feel like I want to take some money off the table. It's been a very nice bounce. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel who like needs a year-end need bounce? Some, uh, I mean, we we had a year-end in in bounce. I mean, yeah. there
1: was pull forward on a year-end bounce, perhaps. But that's what every strategist. It seems like that's what the consensus has shifted to, and that is year-end rally face ripping strong, whatever descriptor you want to use, but, but very firm year in rallying. The question is, have we seen that already, given what yields are telling us?
4: You know, I, I definitely am hopeful we can continue to see a year-end rally. But I do think all these things we're talking about is why valuations are so important right now. And you do have certain sectors of the economy are still very expensive. And I think people are just jumping into your tech companies. given that poll right before we got on that was saying that's where we expect there to be the year-end rally right now. But some of those things are still priced a lot higher than the SP 500. So I think you want to make sure that you're still going into the things that are going to do well if a recession happens or their valuations justify you getting in. It's not just the broad market right now, and specifically not your big tech firms. I think that's something I just really want to
1: reiterate. Bonoin, your thoughts.
5: Yeah, yeah speaking on this, this uh, year end rally, I mean, I think uh, the equity markets have pretty much kind of priced in like the inflation story. And that is half the story. And I think, you know, the Fed rhetoric has been a little bit less hawkish. I mean, um, he's come out and said, okay, well, the path forward is a bit more uncertain. That's certainly more dovish than most certainly restrictive, but I still think the uh, what the bond market is pricing in has been discounted greatly. I remember you asked me a couple of shows ago, well, Bonham, what do you think is going to happen if we're at three and a half percent on the 10-year? And I said, I really don't think it's going to be pretty. And the path to getting there is not going to be pretty. And the path to getting there, what the bond market is telling you, is that it is going to be contraction and is going to be recessionary. And for those reasons, I think the the, the equity market has kind of gotten in front of itself. But as you've seen from strategist after strategist after strategist, they're looking for the next three to six months to be quite a bit rockier in that regard.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, I, I, the, the couple things that are really equity positive here. So uh, you look at the dollar and really since Powell spoke yesterday, since before that, to where we are today, but even where we were by midday today, the dollar moved 2 percent lower. We closed uh, on the Dixie with a 104 handle for the first time since June, um, since June. So so I'm not saying that the dollar is going back to 90 on the Dixie, but I do think that we have seen a case where peak dollar is very equity positive. And, and I, Karen talked about the front end of the yield curve. I mean, there's some weird things going on. I think that was the term you used, weird, and, yes. and, I, and I think that's, that's fair. You actually have seen <clears throat> curves steepening, so bull steepening, and without getting too deep in the weeds in that. Basically, the, the short end has been rallying more than the long end, mm-hmm. and, and, and it means it's been a little bit more aggressive. And that, to me, is, again, telling you lower implied interest rates for equities, which, which are good, which are better. And, and anyone that's doing an equity valuation exercise, you, a higher, you know, a higher uh, rate on equities is a higher discount rate is a lower stock price.
1: At the same time, I mean, I don't know if you guys ever did this when you're trying to weigh a decision, but you, like, make two columns, pros and cons, right? And you put all the pros in one column and, and all the cons in the other. Pros, exactly what Tim said, yeah. but cons is that the yield yeah, curve is bigger. telling you that there's a massive, right. like, Most lower spread. in the economy. And so mm-hmm. how do those two things weigh yeah. out? I mean, I know are- the
3: exercise. I did it with my husband. Do it yes, no, do <laughs> But... So I'm just How did you come out? Well, we're married for a long time know. now. That's good. You know, everybody makes mistakes. What can you do? <laughs>
0: no, I do.
3: Anyway, um, I'm just looking from the bottom in October, which was only seven weeks ago. The S&P has rallied over 14%. Yes. That is enormous. Enormous. So to me, it feels like on the con column of maybe this rally seems to be long in the tooth. I feel like I don't want to chase things here for sure. If anything, I'm inclined to sell upside calls.
2: When bad data is bad, also today's ISM. Let's be clear, we're not a manufacturing economy. Everybody talks about it, but it, it was sub 50 for the first time since early COVID, and and the components, the widening of, of the the different elements of where that that manufacturing weakness is coming. It's, it's not good. so another check for the bad column. By the way, I know her husband Lawrence, and he belongs in the good column. So I, he, <laughs> I'll tell him he's, <laughs> he's, he's a winner. <laughs> but you're looking at the data too, and there's some positives.
4: There's definitely some positives, and I do think when you look at other inflationary periods, like when actually when you look at the early 80s, once inflation actually did start to come down. It only took about four months to erase a long time of inflation coming in. I think that's something you want to keep in mind is this can come up very quickly. Again, I think you want to be strategic about where you're investing money right now. But I do think inflation coming down is great. We do still see the consumers on good footing, though they are starting to dip into savings. And we do have the midterms behind us. which also tends to be a good thing for the stock market. So I am optimistic here. Yes, we have a lot lot of that's probably already priced in. um, But I, I still think there's a lot of positives moving forward.
5: I'd echo that. There's definitely positives uh, to, the, to the tune of inflation. But Tim mentioned, like, listen, we're not in a, a manufacturing economy and we're not a good purchasing economy. That that dynamic was like a two year period that was quite short lived. But if you look at services inflation, that still continues to kind of roar its ugly head. And I think until that gets reined in, I would pump the brakes on saying that inflation has 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 abated to a point where the Fed is likely to pivot or pause. I understand that we're going to move at a much slower pace. Powell has all but told us that, but it doesn't mean that that terminal rate is still going to remain at that five level. It's likely going to be higher than that.
1: Well, the question also is that it, how long are we going to be at the terminal rate? There's an assumption in the market that, that the terminal rate is going to then, you know, lead up to a pivot, an almost yeah. immediate pivot. And I don't know if the markets have really priced in the idea that whatever that rate may be, we could be at it for, for months I know. It in feels months. like we, we,
3: you know, we were so used to it. The market, uh, the Fed owes us really cheap rates. They don't. <laughs> right. Right. Like the right thing is to go yeah, back to zero. Exactly. <laughs> and we want zero. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, if you go back historically at all a little bit, you see that we're really in, you know, sort of a ridiculous land of low yeah. rates. I agree. I think it wouldn't be shocking to see us sit there for a while. All right. Um, stocks may be up so far in Q4, but our next guest says that could
1: be a warning sign for recession next year. Tony Dwyer is the chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, great to see you. You've been listening into our conversation. Um, and in the context of your call for the last quarter of the year was for the S&P to go up between 8 and 12 we, percent. We've gone through that. We've, we've discussed that on the desk. So, so how are you viewing the rest of the year going into 2023?
6: So you're up now 13 percent for the quarter. You've never had the S&P 500 down more than 10% for the first three quarters and then had the fourth quarter up more than 12%, which means you should give back some of the gain that we've got. I I really, but I think it's, it's, you got to be careful because you don't want to get too negative. The range at the year end, this is, it was a year end call, not a during the quarter call. At the year end, we should be up based on history somewhere between eight to twelve percent we're up a little more than that but it doesn't mean you go out and sell everything i think you know as you know i'm expecting a recession next year i'm pretty convicted on it which means you go back down but you know that for the for the year-end we've already put it in i think karen hit that pretty much spot on
1: so i take it tony that that when you look at the yield curve what you see is the bond markets pricing in recession What what do we need to see out of the equity markets for you to believe that we are starting to do that as well? There does seem to be a disconnect.
6: It Really, breath comes in and you go back and retest the lows. It would be historically unique. So there's three things that, Mel, that we're looking at and the viewers can track it. The three things we're looking at, it's not just the yield curves. Anytime the percentage of yield curves that are inverted gets above 55 percent. So you don't use the 210, the three You know, people pick whatever one they want for the day. Let's use them all. Anytime you've had more than 55 percent of them inverted, you've gone into a recession. We have 82 percent as of uh, as of early this week. We had 82 percent of them inverted. The leading economic indicators. Anytime that you've had them at the current level, you've been in or going into a recession. And the Philly Fed diffusion at one month diffusion index, uh, which is kind of an interesting indicator. It, it looks at really the labor four different labor metrics. Um, for each state and the Philly Fed measures it versus a month ago when it's hit this negative a level, you've gone into recession. So I'm not, you know, you know me by now, Mel. I change my opinion like 50 times a day every time there's a tick. So I got to go by the data. And the data is very clear that it would be historically unique with these indicators the way they are not to go into recession. And it would be historically unique for the market to Um, not bottom during the recession. In other words, you haven't made the low yet.
2: TD, it's Tim, Uh, but there is some data and there are some parts, there's a bull market somewhere always, right? And so there's parts of of what's going on both in the economy and in terms of asset allocation that should work now. I like gold here, I like emerging. I think some of the delayed reopening trades like uh, some of the airlines and casinos and they have some fundamentals behind them. What do you do in this environment where we've had a 17% move off that CPI low in October?
6: I think you got to start getting defensive when you're above that 12% level and you're expecting a new low as you know I've I've been pretty neutral and been very tactical this year based on a whole bunch of indicators so we had the fall fall now we've had the year-end rally you've maxed that out I think you start to get defensive the more above plus 12% you get and as you exit the year um, you know we're in the temporary sweet spot. The fundamental excuse for this oversold rally is that infl- the, the Fed's initial moves have lowered inflation. Bono had this had this right, where the drop in the goods inflation—it's the note we wrote about today—the drop in goods inflation is allow. It's really coming down because we've transitioned from buying stuff. It's Christmas every day at the Dwyer's with Amazon. You know the the, the presents show up and you open them every day. Um, from buying stuff when we're in a pandemic to doing stuff and that creates a problem because the lower inflation on the goods goods prices are coming down used car prices those things but the problem is as bono said before you get a a lift in the services inflation and jerome powell said yesterday specifically he doesn't expect housing related or non-housing related services to start dropping until next year so you you're in the temporary sweet spot where you've slowed it enough to keep the goods side down so you're off peak inflation but the services is going to keep it up above where they Want it, and that creates the challenge for the Fed and the risk really into the first quarter.
1: All right, Tony, great to see you. Thank great
6: you. Great to see you, Mel. Happy,
1: happy holidays to you. Ha- Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity. I, Bond, I'm, I'm going to ask you this. Do you think cash is a bad place to be for the next six months?
5: Uh, I don't. Um, And the fact that we are seeing whatever way you're measuring inflation, the fact that you're seeing that inflation and uh, treasuries come in is telling you that. The opportunity cost of holding cash is lower than it once was. And then when you kind of factor in the risk that we're seeing in the market, I mean, it makes it at least maybe 10, 15, as much as 20 percent. I think that's a reasonable holding.
1: Are your clients, Courtney, gravitating towards cash? They have been. Yeah,
4: not to my recommendation necessarily, but yeah, I've been getting that really all year. I think people are extremely nervous. You're seeing that investor sentiment, really seeing that across the board right now. Um, as a long-term investor, it's just really not the place to be, but you are finally at least getting some interest on treasuries and bonds and things like that. But I do have a lot of clients coming out of the woodwork, so I have a lot more cash than i realize, which you're also seeing in the data. Um, but people are just, they're not ready to invest it. And there is still a lot of cash on the sidelines that eventually does need to make its way in, through individual investors and through institutions. And I'm definitely seeing that on my clients. As
2: that well. sounds bullish. I mean, you know, cash on the sidelines sounds to me like people have been really An scared and sentiment. It, yeah. Sentiment's better than it was, but they're still above cash levels. Of, you know, this, if you look at the Bank of America's fund manager survey, cash levels are still in kind of, you know, crisis mode. Um, and, and I think this is a case where this is why if you look at this chart on the S&P, and everybody knows we were trading great considering a 3% move yesterday, but that we're above that 200-day. Carter says this all the time. You can draw lines any way you want. But if you draw from that downtrend on Jan 4, you're kind of through that downtrend just a little bit. Let's see where we go.
1: Coming up, shares of Alta getting all gussied up in the after hours. We're bringing the details from the quarter that are sending the stock higher. Plus, semi snack. Could Tesla's big reveal tonight mean some downside risks for the stock? We'll debate that when Fast Money returns back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. we got an earnings alert for you on Ulta Beauty. Shares taking a leg lower in just the last few minutes. CNBC's Melissa Repco joins us now with more on that. Melissa, what happened here?
7: Hey, Melissa. I guess Ulta reported strong numbers really across the board in categories from hair care to makeup. And notably, CEO Dave Kimball mentioned that it is actually seeing consumer spending go up among all Uh, all different income groups, which is a good thing for that company. It also talked a little bit about early holiday sales and how it saw a lot of strong sales over Thanksgiving weekend, going into Cyber Monday, and was just generally bullish about saying that people are seeing this category as an important category. Even if they pull back in other ways and spend more at the grocery store, they are still spending on beauty. Perhaps they see it as a necessity in their overall budget, or they see it as maybe a little affordable luxury during this time.
1: Yeah. There wasn't anything in particular, Melissa, that stood out to you as to why the stock would have moved from up strongly in the after hours to to a leg lower?
7: Well, I'm a little confused by that because I think that one of the major takeaways was actually that it did better on margins than a lot of other companies. And it talked about being able to even raise prices, which is the opposite of what we heard from a lot of other retailers that have spoken about markdowns. So it seems to have some pricing power in this environment. But there was a note of caution by the CFO saying that, you know, it is a very dynamic environment. They are watching the consumer patterns closely, even though they're not seeing a trade down quite yet.
3: All
1: right. Melissa, thanks. Melissa Repko on Ulta. Uh, Karen, you've got your theory on this uh, move lower in the stock.
3: Yeah, um, it, it was up a lot higher on the news headlines, which appeared to be wrong as they came out on Bloomberg. And I don't know how that happened but they were corrected later it looked like their guide forward was actually much stronger than where they had been mm-hmm. but uh, it turns out that's not really the case it was a fantastic quarter I mean they're doing everything right top lines growing same store sales um, and uh, you know great margin the expectation of the margin being higher that's all good stuff it's just that this stock is up is up ninety two dollars in the last six weeks and uh, it's, it's not expensive, but it's not really cheap. It trades above a market multiple. It deserves that premium, but it, is it out of gas? I don't know. This is what I, I have a decent sized position. I like it, but this would be the kind of thing maybe I would sell some sell some calls. calls. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. What you do. Yeah.
4: Courtney? Yeah, actually, I, I like Ulta here, and I do think it does tend to be one of those companies that does well, even if we go into a recession. That's what we were talking about earlier. I don't want to jump in your tech names. It's something like an Ulta. I like because it it's more recession-proof, so to speak, at least in that category. But also, it gets all of your consumers. So as inflation is a problem, it actually gets your lower-income consumers. They have lower-end products, but also your higher-end products all in the same store. Not to mention, they have a really good loyalty program. They have like 38 million members, I think, and they're getting into Target stores, which just gets to so many more customers. So I do think this is something that is well-positioned and you're right it's not cheap but I wouldn't call expensive either it is lower than its own historical
3: averages so I would still have some something in here I'm just curious if someone at me if you know the answer what happens to algos who see this this come out the these headlines that are then later corrected if the stock goes up yes and then the stock goes down yes. okay right <laughs> I, 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 I sell them. I, right I guess yeah correct is a bad term I guess When you see the word correct, maybe. Right. I don't know, but uh, I'm always curious how that works. And then they They get a slap on the the wrist. Those bad
2: algos.
1: I have no idea.
2: (laughs) I I get the valuation. Courtney and Karen have both framed this well. But I I think the multi-year comps get really tough. So that, that's so it's another way to think about the valuation. But I, I think, you know, where they have gone, uh, and I think fragrance and beauty, correct me, are, I think are two-thirds of their sales almost. And so um, it's been a time where we went from no fragrance and beauty to a whole lot of it, obviously, especially on this desk. Look at Um But, I mean, I think you, you've got a case where some of these comps are really tough.
3: But they're and saying 12.5%. That's, I mean, I don't have many things that have 12.5%. We're,
2: we're wearing a lot of makeup here, so, you know. Anyway. Well, you are. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right. There's a lot more fascinating Boom. to come here. Here's what's coming up next.
0: The wait is finally over. Rollout of Tesla's long-awaited semi-truck set to kick off. But with everything else going on for Elon Musk, is this just another distraction or a real risk? The details next. Plus, the crypto crush continues as lawmakers probe the FTX collapse. The latest out of that hearing ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with p a leading global asset manager.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla's big semi-truck reveal slated to kick off in just a few hours. The first of the 18-wheeler trucks getting delivered five years after originally announced the truck was unveiled in 2017, set to be in production by 2019, but it has been delayed due to battery constraints. As exciting as electric semi-trucks are, is this yet another distraction for Elon Musk? Once upon a time, as in when the thing was first unveiled, it was a very exciting thing—the notion that it would go off, go after the commercial truck segment. But in the context of the stock today, in the context of what Elon Musk is doing today, is this a catalyst to the upside still, Bondman? What do you think?
5: Uh, sure. I mean, it could be worse. For one, it could be Nikola, and it's not right. So let's <laughs> right. Just throw out a little context there. Um, I think, listen, I think the the knock right now is, is the valuation supported? And it certainly isn't if they don't continue to kind of find new frontiers for growth. So through that lens, I do think it's still a positive catalyst. Clearly they haven't been able to execute, which is really more of why we have kind of the downside price action that we have. But I do think that if this is a real, like a real um, target adjustable market, then it's it's a it is a possible catalyst, right? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think foregoing it altogether would be a net net positive There
1: are a lot of reasons also pretty valid reasons as to why this thing might be delayed I mean, we didn't even include pandemic or supply chain issues that royal the entire automobile industry So there are other reasons why why this it not not just Tesla didn't deliver on this
2: Yeah. By the way, distractions for Elon Musk have always been good for the stock price. I mean, hasn't that really been the story? Haven't we show him this over here and something shiny over here? And then actually, let's completely avoid the reality of what's going on here. And and I just think in terms of the semi, first of all, it's an exciting concept. There's no question. Look look at the excitement around the Ford uh, F-150 electric version. And, And if you think about also the margin, pressure on the Model 3. And, and think about where Tesla's high margin cars are, are the why and some of these ones that have actually been really the breadwinners if you think about margin for the company. Um, I, my guess is that's a reason to be excited about this SUV versus the mass market car, which is having trouble, you know, being profitable. So, um, I, I, you know, the most important drivers for Tesla the stock right now are how much stock has gone through the market, how much still has to go through from Elon himself. Uh, and then we're in an environment where I think Tesla is being treated like an auto company. And I think if you think about the people that, that swear about Tesla, Tesla, the stock, mm-hmm. um, I think they're people that are probably under the most pressure here.
1: Treated like an auto company in that uh, people are disappointed in in what I mean I don't understand not in terms, in terms of, of valuation
2: uh, oh, I, oh. I, I think that the 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 pressure on the auto sector in terms of where you have the same pressure oh, every... pressure on
1: on well the, the bad thing is that oh, yeah. this sock is sitting in the crosshairs of being pressured like From the auto multiple. industry but also high multiple so it's getting right. it on on all sides here
3: plus you have the enormous distraction of your CEO, your beloved CEO, mm-hmm. taking you know, running Twitter. Why, why Twitter only seems to get a half CEO at any one time is sort of amazing right. right. I don't funny. really Twitter. Want, I know. I don't know why that That's is. Funny. And also, I think he's you know, him being mired in Twitter is has the potential to alienate potential customers because he does seem to make political statements, and I, I do think that matters to customers. So there's that as well. And then you touch on or you touch on the leaning, uh, you know, is he leaning on the stock because he needs to support the capital. Well, the capital structure is set for now. Right. But he might feel he wants to raise more cash.
1: All right. After the break, the FTX saga continues. We heard from Sam Bankman-Fried last night for the first time since the crypto exchanges collapsed. And now lawmakers are probing that crash. The headlines out of that hearing next. And stick around for some streaming options. We're taking a look at how traders are playing the jump in Netflix. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this.
0: Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks closing out mixed after yesterday's huge rally as investors await tomorrow's jobs report. The Dow dropping nearly 200 points. The S&P closing virtually flat. The Nasdaq eking out a small gain. Some notable moves today. Costco dropping more than 6 percent after reporting slowing sales in November and a 10 percent decline in e-commerce during that same time. Salesforce also tumbling more than 8 percent after announcing co-CEO Brett Taylor would be leaving his post. The stock seeing its worst day since January 5th. But it wasn't all bad news. General Mills, Bristol Myers, Eli Lilly, Merck, all hitting all-time highs during the session. Meantime, the Senate Ag Committee holding its first hearing on the collapse of FTX. CFTC Chair Rostin Benham appearing to field questions. Elon Moy was there at the headlines. Elon.
8: Yeah, Melissa, he pointed to gaps in regulation that allows companies like FTX to hide potentially big problems in the cracks. He said the CFTC needs statutory authority to regulate the spot market for crypto, and that line of sight could have at least given regulators an early warning of the trouble inside FTX.
5: If we don't fill the gap, there will be fraud and there will be customer losses in the future. I am confident the CFTC, the SEC, I am committing to you that we will work together, we will figure out a path forward.
8: Now, currently, the CFTC only has the ability to go after fraud and manipulation. And while they can pursue bad actors, Benham said it's better to prevent them from striking in the first place. Now, there is a bipartisan bill from the Senate Ag Committee that would give the CFTC the power it says it needs. But that proposal has also come under fire as being unduly influenced by FTX, which supported the bill. At the hearing today, lawmakers defended their work.
5: This doesn't match any of the experience I've had with the legislative process. Um, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried did give a lot of feedback, as did many others, uh, from industry, from academia, uh, from the policy community, from your shop and beyond. And everyone's feedback was considered.
8: Now, worth pointing out that seven of the 22 members of the committee, including Senator Booker, who you just saw, received campaign contributions from Bankman Freed. Melissa they've all now told us that they intend to give the money away or already have. Back over to you. Um, the-
1: Elon, you know, it's interesting about the the donations that we all knew, you know, going into the midterms that Sam Bankman-Fried was a major political donor. And In retrospect, now we're looking at that thinking, what, you know, were there any sort of motivations behind that? When when Bankman-Fried was interviewed by Andrew yesterday, he said that a lot of that was for pandemic prevention. Is there any way to trace what that money was used for or is it just so, you know, opaque that there is no way?
8: Yeah, some of it we can certainly see through government filings. There were direct campaign contributions to um, the members that we just showed you on screen there. So, seven of the uh, Senate Ad Committee members. But a lot of the money went into um, sort of super PACs that were used to put out advertising four different candidates. And so that's the money that's a little bit harder to trace because it's not coordinated directly with candidates themselves, but they can be based on issues. And so he's gotten involved in some unlikely races, including in uh, Washington State, I believe, is one of the ones where he really focused in on that pandemic prevention angle. Um, And so that's where some of the money went, most of the money went, in fact. And he said in some other interviews that he gave equally to Democrats and Republicans, but he gave the money to Republicans through sort of dark pools that are much more difficult to trace. So, you know, all of this is part of what Washington and what lawmakers are trying to suss out as they dig through the rubble of the collapse of FTX.
1: All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy. Uh, We sat here yesterday on this desk well, you did, yes, I did. did, with Timothy, oh. with Timothy. Thank you. I pre- I Am just, I in just, trouble? No. Why did you just call me I, <laughs> I thought that I would call special attention to, re- I to your patients no, and, I, I, I like and that attention name. during that whole entire hour because it was a very long interview. But it was extraordinary to hear how all of this went on. And it's amazing to think that the backdrop was that no regulators
2: were involved. involved. And, and there's a lot of different issues here. And conceivably, if FTX is an exchange uh, on some level, there shouldn't have been issues with co-mingling. There are rules that are well established. But part of that dialogue we just heard from, from Washington today and part of where I think there's going to be an argument is, first of all, it starts with, are these securities or not? Because even though you know, they're not, if they were, you then have a whole trail of, leg, of, of regulation that could be brought in here. And I agree that I think a lot of this does not happen if you have regulators around this. All
1: right, for more on the FTX collapse, as well as today's hearing. Former CFTC chairman Timothy Massa joins us. Timothy, great to have you with us.
9: Thank you for having me. It's good to be here.
1: Um, we could sit here and point a lot of fingers, I guess, at a lot of different regulatory agencies. But I wonder, what, wh- what do you think um, is the root cause of the lack of oversight over this particular implosion?
9: Well, actually, we can't really point fingers at regulators because at least our U.S. regulators don't have jurisdiction over FTX, well, let me put it this way, because crypto exchanges claim they are not trading securities, they have not registered as a securities exchange, and insofar as they claim they are trading commodities, no federal regulator has authority over the spot market. And I think you know the same problem exists abroad. Obviously, the main FTX entity was abroad, but people have to realize, Exchanges in the US I think face a lot of the same issues because they do not follow the standards that we have in our securities and derivatives markets except to the extent they decide to do some of that voluntarily, right? They're they're they claim to be regulated, but they're really referring to licenses under state money service business laws which date back to the telegraph era and which are woefully inadequate to regulating these institutions. So people who wanna buy and sell crypto have to understand the risk is not just the asset you're buying, it's the platform on which you're buying it.
1: It is amazing, um, Timothy, when, when you have a conversation about crypto and regulation, and, and just regulation securities in general, that a lot of laws were drawn up decades ago in a totally different time from where we are operating right now when i was talking to the former ceo of the nasdaq richard greifeld he was saying that he thought that it was very clear that crypto was securities and he cited a nineteen forties law the how the howie act i mean right it is just test. yes the howie test and it's just stunning to me that that we're drawing on these things from decades ago to to regulate or to try and find a, a regulatory framework for these new assets of the future. Where do you stand on on whether or not it's a security? If we said it's a security tomorrow does that allow, does that enable regulatory agencies, the appropriate ones, to come in and make this space safer for investors?
9: Well here's the problem. You have to make that determination token by token and you know I tend to think a lot of these are securities but the SEC would have to prove that in court unless an exchange says, oh, yes, you're right. They are securities. What we have are exchanges who basically say, or I shouldn't even call them exchanges. They're really trading venues because exchanges really mean things that are registered and comply with the law. These trading venues say, well, you know, we don't think they're securities, so we're not going to register. We're not going to comply. It's not so much that the laws are you know, out of date, sure, they maybe need a little refinement in terms of disclosure obligations and other things to deal with this new technology. But the basic problem is that we've been bogged down in this issue of, is it a security? Is it a commodity? The crypto trading venues have taken advantage of that and not registered. And therefore, we have a situation where they're You know, they're not abiding by these rules. I mean, I wrote a paper about this four years ago, outlining this problem before FTX was even created. So, you know, we haven't changed it. We really need to fix it.
1: Yeah. Um, Which regulatory agency, if if you were asked by Congress, which regulatory agency has the biggest deficit when it comes to the ability to regulate?
9: You know, either one could do a good job. This is what I said in in, in my paper uh, several years ago, as long as they're given the resources to do it. The other thing we could do, I've written another paper uh, with Professor Hal Jackson at Harvard, where I've suggested the SEC and the CFTC should just get together and create what we call a self-regulatory organization. It's not self-regulatory in the sense that things are left up to the industry, but Basically, you would use that to create some common standards. You would say, we want these trading venues to uh, follow these standards regardless of whether it's a security, a commodity, or something else. And you know, if you do that, we won't shut you down while we sort out this issue of what's a security and what's a commodity. But that at least could bring some standards to these platforms uh, faster.
1: Until then, and I don't know when that, you know, we'll find it some sort of resolution, but until then, do you think customers who are using these trading venues, as you say, are, are, they, are their assets safe?
9: Uh, hard to know. You know, we don't really know what Says the procedures all. are. I mean, look, people have to realize, people think, well, gee, I'm on the blockchain. You know, that's the, you can always see what you have. When you buy and sell on one of these exchanges, you're not even on the blockchain. You're just in a ledger account you don't even know for sure that the exchange has enough crypto to, uh, you know, to satisfy all the, all the customer liabilities. And that's what right. we saw with FTX. Now, they're supposed to have it, they're supposed to uh, you know, make sure they're protecting that, um, even under these modest, very, very modest and weak state laws. Uh, but no, I would say there's no assurance of that. And again, if they, if they were to fail, you're not protected in this in our securities right. markets. If your broker-dealer fails, you're protected under a federal program. In the commodities markets, uh, if we have a failure, you're also protected by special provisions in the bankruptcy law. We don't have that for crypto. All
1: right, Timothy. Great to get your analysis. Thank you. Thank you, Timothy Massad. Um, and what we're seeing as a result of all of this is a crisis of confidence across the industry. There's there's a real concern that there could be you know, some forms of runs on banks with other coins, with other stable coins, because people are questioning whether or not those coins were somehow lent out in some way. Somebody else might have some kind of claim on them. Do they really exist for them to be withdrawn? I mean, Karen, you've been an investor in crypto. Does this shake your confidence?
3: Well, it has to, right? It Mm -hmm. has to. And I think it also has to put off a lot of the um, sort of the big themes that crypto was based you know was had rallied on partially that was institutional adoption right so that's kind of out the window right now and I think that um, I mean this is it's Lehman-esque so we saw what for this industry in, for this industry yeah. so we saw what that did to the entire banking industry i have actually I've continued to be sort of surprised that Bitcoin itself mm-hmm. is not lower given the cataclysm that has happened in the space. And I mean, I think there was thousands of coins that will, will never be anything that were ridiculously something. We saw a Dogecoin on the day before Elon went on Saturday Night Live. I haven't looked at Dogecoin lately. I don't I don't really know where it is. So, anyway, it's not a huge bet for me, but I am just hanging out kind of to see what happens. Yeah.
2: I, I think Bitcoin's trade like a champ. It's partly explained by, you know, physical storage. I mean, cold storage, you know, where but it and partly explained by the very strong retail hands that are not always strong hands. But I, I think you have a case where the institutional adoption in Bitcoin is very late in the game. If you think about who's mm-hmm. holding it and you think about the supply um, and there are some important technical levels that at least it's respected so far.
1: Right. Coming up, crypto, inflation, interest rates. What's at the top of investors' minds right now? We'll dive into the latest survey results from Investopedia to find out. But first, Netflix streaming higher. Will this stock take the crown or is it dead to me? We'll ask the desk, much more Fast Money into. If I knew what it was. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares and Netflix surging nearly four percent today, and is up just uh, is eleven percent is a gain just this week. Options traders are rolling out the red carpet for more gains. So, we'll bring in Mike in just a moment. We did want to get to this chart because I think it was you, Tim, who
3: really thought Timothy, this chart was. Please. <laughs> Can we go with Timothy? I like that. Nice looking.
1: What, yes. what was the
3: term? Handsome that you used? chart. Handsome yeah. chart. Of Handsome chart. You thought it yeah. was a yeah, pretty boy chart. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah,
2: thank you. <laughs> um, so I, I look at the Netflix chart, and, and clearly we've gotten through some key levels, but it starts on that washout on April 20th when you actually had uh, essentially those terrible numbers in the subcontraction. You had record volume, we talk about this all the time, but we also said on that day, this is a story that's gonna take some time. And and so ultimately you hit a double bottom on May 10, then June 10, and from that point, it's bounced all the way on an upward trend line and it's filled in the gap from those numbers. So around 320, 330, you run into more resistance, no question, Uh, but this is a stock that at least has behaved in terms of the timeline, in terms of recovery, uh, that we've actually gotten the fundamental news around at least where they're gonna have uh, either the ad business and the ability to get after uh, sub folks that were dividing it. So I think this is a great chart.
1: All right, um, we got Mike. So let's check out what the action was. Mike Co, what'd you see?
2: Yeah, we saw two times the average daily options in Netflix. It was actually the second busiest single stock options contract. Notionally, the busiest contract were the weekly
5: 320 strike calls. We saw over 50,000 of those trading for about $3. Buyers of those calls risking a little under 1% of the current stock price, betting that the rally in the name can continue.
1: Yeah. Courtney, do you like Netflix? You know, I'm actually a lot more cautious on Netflix.
4: It's done It's done really well here. It's really come off of their lows, but it is still an expensive stock. It trades at what, 30, 30, 33, 34 times forward earnings. And it is, I mean, if you think about it, it is a media company is in this phase where it's a lot slower growth than they've had in the past. And I don't know if you can justify it having that high of a multiple. And yes, I think it's great they have this ad supported tier, but at what point too, if we're seeing inflation staying at this higher level, which we talked about, if it doesn't come down, you are gonna still see this hitting customers. And if they're gonna stay on Netflix but switch down to the ad supported tier, how is that going to affect them so much in the long run to, to justify such a higher valuation? So we have exposure, but I, I'm not adding more to it right now currently.
1: Mike Coe, thank you. For more options action, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, our investors warming back up to stocks. We've got answers to the latest Investopedia sentiment survey. That's next. Welcome back to Fast Money. A seemingly more dovish Fed and a strong November for stocks seem to be luring investors back into the market. That's according to Investopedia's latest reader survey. Editor-in-chief Caleb Silver joins us now with an exclusive look at the results. Uh, Welcome back, Caleb. Also always good to see you. Um, So what did you see? Because I thought that it sounded like people were getting a little bit more defensive looking into CDs and cash.
10: Yeah, they were. And they were the last time I was on your show talking about the survey. They're still playing a little defense, but that nice little November rally, some less hawkish talk from the Fed, that's bringing them in from the cold a little bit. And you're starting to see it not only in our sentiment survey, AAII showing that. Timothy mentioned the uh, B of A mutual fund manager survey. You're starting to see that. And for our readers who are individual investors, there are still worried about the market. 20% are very worried, but that's down 9% from the last time I was on the show in September. 26% are expecting a drop of 10% or more that's down 18% from September and we have almost 20% expecting gains of 5% or more going forward so a little bit of warming and a little bit of buying too around the margins do
1: you i mean do, do you get the sense that maybe people think that that this rally is long in the tooth or got pulled forward a little bit what's what sort of the positioning or the sense going to your end
10: yeah i think they're cautious but i think they want to put money back to work it's been a really rough year for a lot of folks and i don't think a lot of Individual investors did a lot of movement in their portfolio out of that heavy growth stuff So they're looking for ways to make some of that money back. They want to make some safer investments They do realize that interest rates are going to keep rising probably facing a recession So you have almost half of them making safer investments ten percent going out on a limb for those risky investments We always have those outliers and you're having almost uh, more than half the folks expecting a recession next year So they're getting defensive to a degree, but they still like that home cooking especially the big large-cap tech stocks
1: Did FTX happen during the survey period, Caleb? I'm wondering what that's doing to sentiment towards crypto.
10: Yeah, absolutely. And we included it in our article and it's backed people way off of it for the folks that never touched it. They don't plan to right now. The big issue, and you just alluded to it in the last segment or two, is trust. They don't trust the crypto market. They don't understand it well enough and they don't want to go anywhere near it. A lot of folks have been holding on and will continue to hold. There's always that population of folks that are holders forever. But a lot of folks who are thinking about it have now backed way off of it, according to our most recent survey.
1: Um, In terms of where people want to put their money, mention the home cooking, so like the Apples and Microsofts of the world?
10: Yeah, we asked them this round, if they could buy one stock and hold it for the next 10 years, what Mm -hmm. would it be? Surprise, surprise, it's Apple, which has become its own index fund of sorts, made a little fun word cloud. Apple's in there, obviously, Apple, uh, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla's in there as well. You see some other names, but they are sticking to what got them here. A lot of folks have not rotated out, and a lot of folks would love to hold Apple for the next 10 years. It's been good to them for the past 10. They think the next 10 is going to be good as well.
1: All right, Caleb, always good to see you. Thank you. Caleb Silver. Up next, final trades. Final trade
2: time, Tim. Uh, Timothy is going to be selling upside (laughs) calls uh, in Walmart, 160s January.
1: I think that's going to stick. Courtney.
4: Uh, I like Ulta here, I do think as we're going to uncertain economy, uncertain consumer, I do think this is one that will hold up well.
1: Bono and Eisen.
5: I'd be fading the move in housing. Karen Feinerman.
3: Yes. Well, while we're talking about upside calls, I like Netflix, but the valuation's getting a little rich again. I want to sell some upside calls. Great interview yesterday. Andy, that whole, that whole event was really, it was, it was just quite I mean, something.
1: Just, it was amazing. They if you haven't yeah. seen it,
3: check it out. Um, thank you all for
1: watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.